1: For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Angie Otten from St. Charles, Missouri. Angie will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com.
2: I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Brandy Brown. And these are their stories. You
3: think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Lion Order,
1: Lion Order, Lion Order. It's no ordinary
0: police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Lion Order, Lion
1: Order, Lion Order, Lion Order. These are their stories, these are their stories.
2: Welcome to These Are the Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Criminal Intent, Season 10, Episode 7, Icarus. In An Injury or Death to the Lead Actor... There's a full payout to all the investors. No
0: one loses a dime.
1: Two days before Mark was killed, Evan Corman had a half-hour conference call with insurance agents going over the details of the force majeure clause.
0: The producer
2: wanted his own star killed. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast. It's Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hey, Kevin. Thank you for having me back. Thank you for uh, not flying too close to the sun. Oh, you said it before I could. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, rounding out our panel is our special returning guest. It's Brandy Brown. Hello, Brandy.
4: Hello. Hello. Nice to be back.
2: Now, you have been on well a couple of shows and I think you've covered just about everything in our uh, franchise universe, but you're a big Criminal Intent fan. So, yeah. make your case. Why?
4: I want to kick back and relax. I don't want to solve the mystery. I don't. I want to know who did it right away. I always go and read Wikipedia summaries. So I just want to just tell me how we got there, late, like later on. But I want to know who did it right away. And it's just I don't know. I just like it. It's always also a little bit lighter fare. It seems mm-hmm. like, and it's not like SVU. You really got to be in in the mood for that, or ready to absorb some dark shit. So. <laughs>
5: Yeah, I like it, too, because I like Eames' just complete disdain for her partner. I really do. Like, the way she looks at him, just like, Jesus fucking Christ. It's like, it's just so refreshing, you know? Like, the thin blue line is very, very thin between those two in a way that I really
4: like. Yeah, it's also just funny that, like, I imagine there could be a whole series where it's just every episode, like, bonus features where Eames just goes, why do you know that? That doesn't even make sense with any of your background. Like, how, why? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Where did you even have time to learn this?
2: <laughs> uh, So, Brandy, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite
1: Law and Order detective
4: team. Oh, I mean, I really think, though, it's got to be uh, Briscoe and Green, but Law and Order isn't my favorite franchise, but Briscoe and Green are my favorite detective duo.
2: And why is that? You like the sass? You like the idea that behind the scenes they're singing show tunes and stuff?
4: Yeah, I just like that. They're just, they're, they get along. They feed off each other. They're just great. Uh, my favorite defense attorney, though, is always going to be Patty Lapone because she just seems like she does not care. She's just like, look, we all do murder sometimes. I'll drink to that. And then they're all like, ah, Patty. <laughs> like,
1: that's
2: how she is
4: every time she shows up. It's just like, eh, it happens. People die.
2: <laughs> that's what I get paid to say. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Criminal Intent* Season 10, Episode 7, Icarus. Well, in the most efficient exposition speed dump, we see sitcom star turned Broadway lead Mark Landry show up late for that night's production of Icarus. His understudy Bryce is pissed now that he won't go on. Rock star and show tune composer Adam Winter complains Mark is butchering his songs while demanding director Amanda Rollins no, not that Amanda Rollins wants to fire him but show producer Evan Corman won't let her. At that night's performance... As Icarus flies ever so slowly towards the sun, (laughs) the wire rigging snaps and Mark falls to his death.
1: And you called, major case
0: instead of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Well, it wasn't a workplace accident. The rigging was sabotaged. Our crime scene unit determined that a rope on the harness was deliberately cut. Stage manager discovered the tampering and called us in. You saw the actor fall? We all did. It was horrible.
2: Whoever did this tried to make it look like the rope was frayed
0: gordon and eames learn
2: a prop man tampered with an actress's rigging in an earlier accident done at the request of corman the producer the incident made ticket sales sore but they can't prove anything understudy bryce denies that he had it in for mark amanda the director is spiraling from the stress the detectives learned that she invited a theater critic to that performance telling him Bryce would be in the lead. At a Times Square memorial service, a clearly drunk Amanda makes a spectacle of herself, showing Gorn and Eames that not all might be right behind the scenes. Okay, so we see the play as uh, Mark is Icarus, and he's flying on wires towards the sun. And it's going comically slow yes as he's rising it looks like someone pulling a clothesline uh, it uh,
5: looks like uh. it looks like the mountain climbers game from the prices is right is what it looks like <laughs> it looks
2: like
4: a high school production like a rich high school but a high school production because yeah. you're just like this would not look like this they would hide the wires or something it's i get that they've been in previews for two years but still like in previews they would have i don't know it just looks like pre-preview. Yeah, this is
5: Broadway, right? Allegedly. Yeah, yeah. well, this is, I think, probably
2: the rigging set from the first Peter Pan.
5: (laughs) (laughs) This is Broadway where for, like, 38 years, a chandelier fell on the crowd every night during Phantom (laughs) of the Opera. This is Broadway where every night for, like, 35 years like the fort exploded on stage during (laughs) (laughs) Les Mis. This is Broadway where mountain climbers from Price is Right. (laughs) Sally Duncan would
4: walk in and be like, come on.
1: What are we doing here? (laughs) This
4: this was garbage when I was Peter Pan. What are we doing?
2: I think the one thing that's really impressive is that Mark can plank while he's dangling there. Like the whole time, like it's going to take him 10 minutes to get to the top of that thing. And he he should look like a folding chair Mm. with his legs just, but he's like, oh, I can do it. I can do it.
5: The art of the Law & Order universe is my favorite. Who
2: doesn't love when uh, Law & Order does performance art of some kind? It's the best. River dance. Nothing Mm -hmm.
5: will ever beat the sexy ladies playing the violins. A la that like whatever that thing is called that you can get tickets to once a year in Boston. Celtic
2: Uh, women. (laughs) Yes.
5: But this one, man, it's pretty good.
4: And, you know, there were a bunch of I mean, obviously, Cynthia Nixon does Broadway, but you just know that there were Broadway people like that. We don't even really like recognize mm. like as extras in the background. And I just want to know what they were talking about. They're like, really? Come on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would really love to see the lead tie. Yeah, it's a living like that's probably what they were saying. So the director's name is Amanda Rollins, mm. a name so nice. Dick Wolf used it twice. And that has happened
4: many times. I feel like I just can't think of them off the top of my head. But I do remember that one.
2: Yeah, it's a little surprising. And you're like, oh, okay. We'll just pretend like we don't know that. And so, like, when the lead actor falls to his death, she says, Bring in the curtain instead of call an ambulance. <laughs> just well, saying.
4: I think that it's, to be fair, at that point, they'd had so many accidents. It's just they know to call the ambulance at that point. So she's just like, just close the curtain. We Speed know we're dial. going into plan B. That's right. We always <laughs> this has happened 8 times. The understudy's right there. He's right yeah. there. He's ready to go on. <laughs> the other weird thing is you mentioned that he could plank, but like he was just sliding back like at no point did he really seem to brace himself to hit the ground in that slide. And that was really what happened there. No, just
2: like the world's shortest zipline. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
5: It didn't look particularly deadly that fall either, did it? Like how did the, he die no. exactly? He was on his he was on a, a string. He broke his neck. Oh. He's, but he was going backwards. You think he had a heart attack yeah. coming down? <laughs> he was he landed on his legs, had any
4: break. His yeah. Neck. It's all
5: very confusing. It's like at class action park. Like-
4: <laughs> I feel like that rigging was not correct. Like I really I don't know I've been doing a little bit of climbing. I just <laughs> yeah. mean like the the carabiner seemed a little like, that's for my water bottle. Like <laughs> yeah. on my backpack. Like it seemed really I don't know, I'm not an expert. I only do bouldering, but that seemed like it wasn't a good scene.
2: So the key is the sta- to the staging of the show is the labyrinth in which Icarus and Daedalus are trapped. So the labyrinth is a maze of rocks in this spiral, but they are these tiny rocks. How is anyone ever going to see this tiny maze from the audience? That's it's flat. down low on the foot. Yeah, <laughs> it's like when Spinal Tap when they had like Stonehenge and like the eighteen inch rocks came down into so the eighteen foot tall rocks. Yep. Only the people in the balcony can enjoy that particular set piece. Did you notice, like when Goran, you know, wanted to exit the labyrinth, that like he had to like move rocks around because he like couldn't just step over all the rocks <laughs> and to get out of it.
4: I just feel like he was doing that to be an asshole. Like he does that sometimes. Like he'll just when remember that episode where he was in like the toy shop with the collectible toys and he was just like playing with it and, like, cranking it and like, I could do this, I could make this, and the player's like, please stop. Like, he definitely is, like, in his full asshole cop mode, just like, destroying things because he can and just be like, I'm in charge here.
2: Yeah, yeah. But the I felt like, you know, that little sl- labyrinth where, like, Gordon couldn't get out. It was like in Supernatural, and they would just like put a salt circle to like capture a (laughs) demon. Like, couldn't get out.
4: (laughs) I think you can do that to cats, too. Yeah, magically.
5: Was Gordon doing an airplane move on the stage? He looked like a little kid pretending to be an airplane, didn't he? I think
2: he was just trying to get his balance. He wouldn't fall (laughs) over or break his neck (laughs) like Icarus. The hubris. So, the uh, first of Goran's wild yet accurate presumptions. Here's a photo of your kids. You must be getting a divorce.
1: <laughs> yeah.
5: Yeah, tracks.
2: No wife. She. she you must be uh, strange. She says, no, she was killed on 9-11. Thank you for asking. Oh, goodness. <sighs> now, one of the clues that someone meant to mark harm was that he received a bouquet with a peacock feather in it. Peacock feathers. Bad luck and
0: theater somebody might have been trying to jinx him
4: i watched this on peacock there's a lot of layers here yeah (laughs) Uh, is is peacock bad for theater people probably they're not playing streaming revenue so it's
2: definitely the place you want to go if actors are going to disappear so it's (laughs) it's, it's, it makes sense yeah (laughs)
4: all
2: right let's take a look at our cast
1: it's our very special guest star
2: it's ms cynthia nixon She's back with us playing theater director Amanda Rollins. No, not that Amanda Rollins. For real, though. Three Law and Order Universe appearances. She was in the very second episode of The Mothership as a female Bernie Gets. Okay. Remember that we covered that? Yes. Uh, she was also, she also won an Emmy Award for her guest appearance on SVU in the episode Alternate, which I think, I think everybody was That's like. That's right. Yeah. The
4: daughter was like. Kidnapped or something? Is no, that the one? She, she pretends to have multiple
2: personalities. Yeah, yeah.
5: Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Spoiler alert. Yes. She's pretending.
2: Yeah, currently she's <laughs> reviving Miranda on and just like that. She's also in Gilded Age, which is coming back. Oh, Gilded Age. Yes. Yeah. She's actually been pretty busy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, as you know, that she ran for governor of New York in 2018. She was in the New York Post last month because she owes the fire department $2,000 in fines. Wow. Uh, she, when she was renovating her $4 million Kipps Bay townhouse, apparently workers on two occasions tripped the fire alarm and she has not yet paid the fines. Mm. And it's a big deal by the way that the, the, the fire alarms like really burn, so to speak the, uh, the fire department. One unnamed source in the post, of course they're all unnamed says this is a candidate for governor who ordered cream cheese, lox, tomatoes, red onion, and capers. On a cinnamon raisin bagel. <laughs> if you don't know the rules of how to eat locks on a bagel, you can't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's kind
5: of an unimpeachable lack of endorsement there. it's, true, it's
4: right. <laughs> I feel like New York always has some type of politician eating food scandal. Like, meanwhile, the Minnesota State Fair, like our big scandal, was like. Al Franken one year was on Good Morning America or it was the Today Show. And for the entire interview with Al Roker, he just ate an ear of corn. Just <laughs> sat there, said nothing, and just housed an ear of corn. <laughs> That's how we rock out here.
2: <laughs> we have a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, It's That Guy. Playing, who's playing producer and douche vibes? Evan Corman, the. Uh Producer of the show.
5: I know that guy.
3: Who is he?
2: His
5: character actor, Christopher McDonald.
3: Yes. Yes. His allegations are insane. I'd never sabotage my own production.
4: He's in everything. Yeah. He's in everything.
2: Yeah, he's uh, been in forlorn or appearances for the trifecta. He started his career as Goose in Greece. Really? Well, wait a minute. Greece too. Oh, okay. That uh, one. Yeah, memorable memorable roles as Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. She, he was uh, Thelma's husband in Thelma in Louise and Boss Hogg in the Dukes of Hazzard reboot. Hmm. He was an Emmy nominee for his role as casino owner Marty in Hacks. Yes. So he's staying busy. He was arrested in 2017 for drunken driving and tried to get out of it by name dropping. He said, <laughs> Don't you know who I am? I'm Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. <laughs> Surprisingly, it didn't work.
4: I feel like the cop was like snapping their fingers. You're like that. You're that guy from the thing. Yeah, I don't know your name. You're that guy
5: who's always on SVU and shit. You're that guy. Yeah, now Greece too. That's the one where the guy was Australian, right?
2: Yes.
1: <laughs>
5: Sorry. I can't yeah. Can't stop remembering that. That was like a nightmare. It had some.
2: It was a forgettable movie but it had some memorable songs like the one about reproduction (laughs) reproduction let's just
5: let's just do greece again except make the man from australia that makes a complete sense yeah even though in the play greece like she's not from australia like it's something that happened in the movie like it's so fucking weird
2: it's like sandy's cousin or some stupid (laughs) shit like that Uh, Christopher McDonald. He was briefly engaged to Gina Davis. Really, his spouse from Thelma and Louise. Lucky him. Instead, he married his wife named Lupe. She is also an actor. You will remember seeing her in the video for "We Didn't Start the Fire." Okay. I mean, if you were eagle-eyed and cared about that shit, you would... I did
4: not even remember the video. I just remember
5: the song. But did she almost make the Olympics for archery, like Gina Davis almost did?
2: No, I don't mm-hmm. think so.
5: Just asking. She didn't start the fire. Fun Gina Davis fact that I was able to throw it there.
4: Throw in there. I feel like you've mentioned this on a different episode. Yeah, I mention it whenever I can.
5: It's
2: the only thing I know about Gina Davis. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know who's playing the victim, Mark Landry? Did you uh, hear rehearsal? I think I nailed that B flat in Labyrinth. His name is Billy. Magnuson. You might know him from the live action Aladdin. The Bond flick No Time to Die and as young Polly Walnuts in the Sopranos prequel The Many Saints of Newark. Uh, He has upcoming projects in the live action Lilo and Stitch. Oh. (laughs) And the HBO comedy series about superhero movies called The Franchise. Is
5: he playing Lilo?
2: In Lilo and Stitch?
5: (laughs) I'm guessing he's not. Which one is the alien? Stitch? I believe that would be Stitch. I got
4: a
2: I think it has to be Stitch.
5: It
4: has to be Stitch. <laughs> I don't even remember. I think I was a little too old for uh, yeah, a
2: little bit. I got a feeling he's probably playing a bad guy. Yeah. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. So Billy says, quote, I eat eight times a day, but it's what my intake is. I eat all the time, but it's good stuff. If you want to eat that chocolate, why do not you eat that dessert? Have an apple or a vegetable instead. And I say, quote, go fuck yourself, Billy. <laughs>
5: He's one of those boring yeah. people who talks about his diet all the time. Yeah. Oh, my God.
4: Like, Thanks, Billy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> how, about, how about a chocolate covered apple? <laughs> it's like I've been to the Minnesota State Fair. I,
4: <laughs> yeah.
5: It's a good time for a public service announcement. If you're out there and you're listening to this and you're one of those people who talks about what you eat all the time fucking stop doing that (laughs) nobody cares and it is incredibly boring
4: or get a group chat with people who do care like i have like my people i talk to about like working out and how i don't work out (laughs) exactly am i getting enough macros is this enough protein exactly exactly get a group chat the answer to a lot of stuff is get a group chat that's like 90 percent of like society would be better off if you just had a group chat yes
2: uh can you give me the name of the actor playing rock star Adam Winter? Amanda blamed everyone and everything. Okay, she even had a problem with the songs. You disagreed? Well, being as I wrote them, yeah. Faux bono? Faux bono, yeah.
4: <laughs> he seemed like more that he would be in like Maroon 5, honestly. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Gonna be on like the next season of The Voice as one of the judges. Yeah, he's he's one on on those
5: of those replaceable dudes from Maroon 5 who no one knows yeah. who they are.
2: <laughs> that's Ian Bailey. No, not the Ian Bailey who's uh, from West Cork, who probably is a murderer, but instead of just an annoying poet. Uh, that's Ian Bailey from Band of Brothers Fight Club, and he was Pinocchio in ABC's Once Upon a Time. Okay. He's currently starring in season two of the horror series From... It's on MGM+, Plus, which means it has even fewer viewers than Peacock, which also means none of us will see it.
4: MGM+, plus that's a thing? <laughs> it used to be something else, but I don't know what that something else was. Huh. But I remember it was like a rebrand.
2: I would say if you invested a lot of money in MGM+, Plus, I hope it was just your subscription. <laughs> we have a Repeat Offender.
0: Repeat Offender.
2: Returning as uh, Goran head shrinker Paula Geisen is Julia Ormond, and last week you were flooded with it. Fight or flight. What's underneath the anger? Also returning in a mini crossover. crossover, crossover. It's Selena Slava. She's Gloria on Orange Is the New Black, and here she is reviving her role as Detective Rivera from the Mothership. Remember, she played the uh, female Profaci. Oh, mm,
1: Profaci. Yep.
2: We have a hey, it's that girl. Hey, it's that girl. Can you tell me who's playing Lisa Kirby, the stage manager?
3: No. We have our safety procedures in check, but as of late, Mark insisted that he be responsible for the final check.
2: Yeah, that's Ashley Atkinson for Law & Order appearances for that trifecta. She's playing Amanda in and just like that with Cynthia Nixon. Oh. She also skated for uh, the Gotham Girls Roller Derby. (laughs) Her skate name was Margaret Thrasher, Prime Minister of Your Demise. (laughs) Rebecca, do you have a um, a name, uh, you know, like a a roller derby name? What is it? Yes.
5: Lieutenant, you heard Although, I never played roller derby,
4: and I only wanted to so I could use my name.
2: Brandy, have you come up with your own roller derby name yet?
4: No, but several of my friends do roller derby, and one of my friends apparently – Did not know about the conspiracy theory documentary Loose Change about 9-11. And that was their roller derby name. And everyone's like, oh, are you like an... 9-11 9-11 truth or something. And they didn't know. And then their friends had to sit them down and be like, look, we're gonna have you watch this video. It's crazy. Uh-huh. They think there were fake voices. They landed in Ohio. And the person's like, oh no, I just I'm whacking crazy. So yeah. My favorite roller derby name of someone I know uh here in town, because we've got like pretty big roller derby scene, is Marge Hadron Collider. <laughs> That's my favorite one.
2: <laughs> That's a good one. Your friend uh probably changed her name to Q Annie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I Tell think me she more. still those change. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> Did you spot who's playing Professor Cleo Alexander? You mean the lady that Gorn goes to for no reason? Yes. <laughs> no. Well, whoever it is, Bobby, one thing I do
1: know, I know you. You'll find him.
2: <laughs> that is Miss Patricia Lee Smith, also known as Patty Smith. <laughs> Singer, activist, and punk poet laureate. Wait,
5: that was Patty, Patty Smith, Patty Smith? That was Smith? Patty
2: Smith, Patty Smith, yes. Oh.
5: oh. So they just like shoehorned her in there. That's why he went to her for no
2: reason. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. We have to, <laughs> to find a way to employ Patty Smith in the second to last <laughs> episode of Criminal Intent. Patty yes.
5: Smith, like, I've always been a fan. I've always wanted to be on the show. Let's just make up a scene where nothing happens and she sees you for no reason. That's sad.
2: Let me show you how smart I am. <laughs>
5: You can do it. So That's Pat- literally what she says. I know you can do it.
2: Go get him, Bobby. <laughs> was he? A, was she a college professor or his kindergarten teacher? <laughs> Good <Yeah>. little boy. <laughs> <laughs> Patti Smith once got into a fist fight live on the radio with Ted Nugent. <laughs> I
4: support her. I support her strong. I love that.
2: Sweaty Teddy made comments about how they could smell her coming into the studio. And she was mad because his interview with the DJ was running long. So they tussled. She said live on the radio, get your fucking hands off me. And then she socked him in the chest. Nice. And the DJ quickly dipped into Cat Scratch Fever to break it up.
4: <laughs> That's a good DJ. That's a, I respect that. Needle drop at the right point. He I had it all queued
2: up and it went right in, yeah. So, Patti Smith, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Ted Nugent, blowing up Bud Light cases. <laughs> uh, lastly, can you tell me who was playing theater critic Michael DeWitt? Out of respect for the dead, of course I'm not reviewing that performance. That is Ken out too. Law and Order Appearances. You will probably know him from his string of appearances in Skin and Max movies. No. Yeah, they include... You probably
5: know him from his string of appearances <laughs> in the Skin and Max movies.
2: Well, those movies include The Naked Detective, hmm. Broadcast Bombshells, hmm. Sextrospective, New York Nights, and Bikini Bistro. But he got his first role on the ABC After School special. Hmm. It was the 1990s episode called Stood Up. <laughs> It was about a teenage girl who got stood up for the prom, so she sues the boy. Oh. The episode got a negative rating from the LA Times. Why the LA Times TV critic is, like, taking time to look at... An after-school special? see after-school specials as if, you know... Teenagers are going to be opening up to the, uh, the TV page and the time to go, oh, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't watch that. <laughs> Looks like a waste of my time. Do something a little more highbrow with the electric company. <laughs> By the way, Stood Up is also the name of a Skinamax movie about handjobs. <laughs> All right. So speaking of that theater critic, he was asked to go to see Bryce in the lead, but instead saw the regular lead, Mark. How much of a prick is this guy? Mark Lantry was dreadful, atrocious. Getting killed was the best thing that ever happened to his Broadway career. Because I'll tell you, because breaking <laughs> your neck on stage is being committed to the role, but getting killed—that's what you call a brave performance. <laughs> what
4: kind of what what sitcom do we think he was on? Like, what type of sitcom guy was he? Oh, maybe like uh, like a Full House, or maybe like a Kevin James type. Yeah,
5: like a CBS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Situation. Yeah, this could be Patton Oswald
2: <laughs> in the lead role. I like to think that maybe he was like one of the grown up kids from Home Improvement.
5: Oh, like Jonathan Taylor Thomas?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: I think this is definitely a Zachary Ty, Ty Bryant situation. <laughs> <laughs> He's not having a good time.
2: <laughs> uh, so if you ever want to know how cool Goran is, uh, they b- just bring him to a music studio. Yeah. Because, you know, He can tell you the names of Mexican minor league baseball teams, but he couldn't tell you how whose Soundgarden is. (laughs) You familiar with my work, detective? Oh, uh, he's more of a jazz guy. (laughs) He's more of a jazz guy, Brandy. That's right. So Gordon has got to sniff something in the episode, and so it's the funny cigarette that Adam is smoking. It smells like clove. Clove, Java Black. I got addicted to him when we toured Indonesia. Hmm, nice.
5: Yeah, ever heard of a clove cigarette? Um, that's like what hip. That's like what people uh, smoke when they pretend they're not smokers. But it's just a cigarette.
2: <laughs> but does that explain why the doobie smells like a chai latte? <laughs> so there is uh, this memorial service for Mark in Times Square. I gotta say, for a big star, it was a pretty small turnout. I mean, I think there were more mm-hmm. people in line for the M M&M and M store.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think like MTV was doing like Total Request Live at the same time, so they were probably <laughs> elsewhere
2: in the square. <laughs> All those people, you know, they went to the memorial service and they went over to Elmo to get a photo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Drunk Elmo. They went over to pose on those
5: big red stairs. (laughs) On red big (laughs)
2: stairs. So the service is completed with the uh, crappy acoustic version of the song that he heard while he plummeted to his death. Mm Mm-hmm. Because this is What a great Spotify list this would make. Music to die by. (laughs) Sabotage. Songs could be the the title of it. Yeah, One Hitman Wonders. Yeah. No? Mm. Headbangers and Neckbreakers. Sugar Ray's Fly.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I just want to fly.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but you don't get to do it.
4: Fly like an eagle.
2: Fly like an eagle.
4: Cynthia Nixon is really good at playing drunk. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing I noticed. I was like, oh, yeah, she's really because a lot of times a lot of actors even like are just terrible at it. They're just like too, she was like very much like her eyes even had that uh-huh. glaze. Or, yeah. You so. know, you know, like
2: Cynthia Nixon. She's like you see her in the background kind of like grooving to the uh, to this really horrible song called Higher and Higher. And it's she looks like, you know, like a white teen who's like grooving out to the soulful parts of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. You just want to like slap them. <laughs> <laughs> Now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Gorn and Eames question Amanda about why she told the critic Bryce would be in the lead the night Mark was killed. She denies staging the accident. You didn't want DeWitt reviewing Mark that
1: night, so you cut the rig, staged an accident. No, I didn't. You've been under a lot of pressure,
2: a year of living and... Breathing Icarus, pouring your heart and soul into the production. Maybe you didn't want to turn out to be another Julie Taymor. Get fired for artistic differences.
1: I would never hurt an actor.
2: Amanda's assistant Roger tells the detectives Mark was having an affair with someone. Under Mark's bed, they find the same clove cigarettes rock star Adam smokes. He admits to a down-low relationship with Mark. Adam says that he was in the limo the night Mark was uh, late for the theater, and they were late because the car kept going around in circles around the theater. The driver admits to Bobby and Alex that Amanda paid him to make Mark late so Bryce could go on, but Roger called him to cancel that plan. Amanda admits to the plan but says she never told anyone to call it off. Gordon Eames tells Captain Hannah that they've learned an insurance policy on the struggling show would cover the investor's cost if the lead actor were injured or killed. They bring Roger to the office of Evan, the producer. There they confront Roger with his fingerprints on the rig. And when it appears Evan will let the assistant take the fall, Roger reveals he did it all at the producer's direction. And he even recorded it on his iPhone. Mm. The detectives take both of them into custody because, like Icarus, They flew too close to the sun.
5: Oh, yeah, they did.
2: So quickly, you know, Greek mythology of Daedalus and his son Icarus. Daedalus built the labyrinth to imprison the Minotaur. But after a double cross, he and Icarus were imprisoned there, unable to walk out. Daedalus built wings of feathers and wax and escaped into the air. But the overconfident Icarus flew too close to the sun, melting the wax, calling him to fall to his death. Gorin assumes that there is a thematic tie between the fatal sabotage and the Greek myth. Uh, There's choices, there's tragedy, there's hubris, so his investigation takes him to his old friend who teaches Greek mythology. You
1: know, in some versions of the myth, it's more of a maze, multi-cursal, like a puzzle
2: with choices of direction.
0: But the killer thought that
3: they had no choice.
2: You know which professor he should be consulting with? The one that can teach about gravity. <laughs> hey, is Sir Isaac Newton on your list
4: of suspects. Or even like a theater professor being like, yeah, like someone who does like stage management or anything.
5: I love that as a college class about Greek mythology. I just love that so much.
4: It comes up in so much trivia, and I <laughs> never learned it. And I'm like, oops, sorry. I <laughs> know like five of them, and I'm always like, Cupid? Dude. <laughs> 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 is this Roman or Greek? I don't know.
2: <laughs> so, Gordon has another side trip. Uh, he has to go to uh, mandated therapy. who's a condition of him being reinstated after being fired by Eames. Eames fired him in season nine. Uh, he says that he had a dream.
1: There were men on the bridge with me wearing some sort of military
3: uniform and they were walking the other way.
1: And what do you think
2: it means?
3: I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me.
2: They were going one way and you were going the other. Mm-hmm. And the bridge was over water. Turbulent water. You couldn't figure that one out on your own, Mr. James. <laughs> what is the meaning of this dream? I don't know. Take three seconds and think, think about it. <laughs> You're Bobby Gorn for crying out loud.
5: He's sort of acting like that dude in Mash who wants to get out of the army. He's not acting like he Clinger? wants in. Yeah. yeah, he's not acting like he wants to stay on the force in this particular appointment. I'm just saying, like this is how I would behave if I wanted her is to be. He's going to show
2: up to work in a in a dress like like <laughs> yeah. did?
5: No, but I'm just saying, like he's not acting like balanced. You know, mm. he's not behaving in such a way. Like you know how when um Liv goes to her therapy appointment, she's like,
2: everything's fine. I'm fine.
5: Let me yeah. back on the job. I'm fine. Yeah, but her
2: therapist is Mr. Noodle. <laughs> it's
5: true. That's true. Yeah. But he's not behaving as if he wants her to give him
2: a good grade. I'm just saying.
4: He's like, I have to be here. And he's just like, I'm just going to be a pain in the ass. Like, <laughs> I don't care anymore. Maybe
5: she'll want to kick me
2: out. Yeah. So criminal intent is famous for the flashing red arrow. Ah, you're divorced. We're going to hear more about that later. It uh, makes a big deal about the clove cigarette and they toss Mark's secret love pad. And Goran says, mm, what's that smell? And it's the clove cigarette.
3: Java block. Same clove cigarettes. Adam Winter smokes.
2: Rock stars. Don't they know it's not safe to smoke in bed? The hot sex flop house. And that's the smell you pick up on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, does it smell like bleach or ammonia in here? Uh huh. Like all over the place? Uh huh. And this idea that only one person in
5: New York smokes these stupid cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally, have you ever been to the NYU campus, dude? Like, everybody smokes those fucking cigarettes.
2: <laughs> I think it's like, imagine trying to get a warrant for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, your honor. it just, you know. He told us he was addicted to them. <laughs> Well, the only thing he was addicted to. Yeah, I found a Bud
5: Light can under their bed. Only one guy in New York drinks that.
2: It was definitely not Teddy Nugent. <laughs> uh, so we get to the big reveal. Gorn and Eames bring Roger into Evan's office and turn them against each other to get this confession.
3: That's ridiculous. Tell him, Roger.
2: What, what am I supposed to tell? He wants you to do what you've always done. Back
3: his play. He's your boss, right? Roger works for Amanda, not me. You're lying. But that's what producers do, isn't it? I mean... You lie for a living. Yeah, well, so are the police.
2: I gotta say, it felt like they were dunking on producers as being so cutthroat. Did they think they were just, like, dunking on uh, Dick Wolf? Like, you lie, you you murderous son of a bitch, and this is our second-to-last episode, and we're all gonna be unemployed. Mm.
4: I think it was actually a bunch of theater people were, like, dunking on actual theater producers (laughs) because they're kind of assholes, too. (laughs) You know, they're, like, trying to... They're running budgets and stuff. I think everyone in every... Industry hates producers. Yeah. In some degree. No offense. I know that you both are in the producing no, realm, we're but not. you know. Not really. We just, Kinda. we just use that yeah. title to seem official.
2: All right. Me too. <laughs> it's kind of like
4: when like actors just get the producer credit to get more money. Yeah. I get it. Right.
2: Too. You yeah. Get- yeah.
4: But like true producers are like the ones who are just like the money people and yeah. the. Yeah. That's not us. Do we yeah. look like money people to you? <laughs> I don't know your life. I don't know what New Hampshire is yeah. people look
2: like, honestly. <laughs> I will say, though, if Rebecca dies, I do come into a lot of money. So it's... <laughs> what? She doesn't have to be, like, on a rig to fall This is very suspicious. It <laughs> <And he laughs> <seems> like a
4: <laughs> double indemnity. Am I on an SVU episode now? What is happening? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer
1: cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly,
0: patients who can see.
1: Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com metaverseimpact metaverse impact.
2: Alright, let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip From The Headlines. You think you know who did it, you think you
1: know who did it,
3: but you don't know who did it, you don't know who
2: did it,
3: rip from the headlines. This episode takes inspiration from the snaffers around the Broadway musical Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. With music from Bono and The Edge, the show would feature the superhero swinging over the audience on wires. But technical problems plagued the musical right from the beginning. Some of the expensive special effects just wouldn't work. An acrobat broke his leg when pinned beneath some scenery. Another broke both wrists. A safety harness fell from the rafters, bonking an actress on the head and giving her a concussion. Spider-Man was supposed to swing from the stage to the balcony, but the stuntman got stuck seven foot above the audience. Stagehands had to rescue him with a pole while he dangled there for 15 minutes. The most serious accident happened when a performer fell 21 feet into the orchestra pit because his safety harness wasn't attached. He broke his skull, four ribs and four vertebrae. All of these injuries happened during preview shows well before the musical's official opening night. Critics panned the music and bland story and changes to Peter Parker's backstory didn't sit well with comic fans. The production was the most expensive in Broadway history with millions in cost overruns each week. The final curtain fell on Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark in January
1: 2014.
2: Found out last night, you know, not for nothing that uh, Joey Toronto from the I think not podcast, was in the cast of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. God love him. Yeah, I think he might have been uh, Swing or underst- Ensemble yeah. or something he like that. He made it out. He made it out alive. <laughs> Pretty soon they'd be like, okay, who's next on the Swing? <laughs> you. You. You fit into well, the Spider-Man suit. So
4: <laughs> it was crazy how they, like, I, so I read the book about it. And actually this is the ending of the this episode where it's like the dramaturg and the producer, basically the writer... They brought in another writer. They brought in writers, a producer. They were trying to push Julie Tamar out. They tried to push her out. And apparently uh, because they did not have a contract going into tech, which is absolutely wild. Mm -hmm. They were going to like take her off the credits as a director or whatever and take the writer off and put new people in. They couldn't do that. Um, But there were a lot of like meetings were a lot of meetings where like Bono was called in. They had chats and they were like, how do we get her? to be okay with this. She's one of those people that you have to, like, have someone to, like, put their foot down or else it's just Mm -hmm. gonna, she's gonna be all over the place. But, I mean, I I think it was just, like, when you read that book, I forgot, it's about Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, you could find it. It's it's absolutely wild. And you're like, yeah, I'm surprised more crime did not actually happen here.
5: (laughs) Yeah, because she did The Lion King on Broadway, which was hugely Mm -hmm. successful and won a ton of awards. And I think Mm -hmm. everyone thought that vibe was gonna come over to the show and it did not.
2: (laughs) So one of the songs from the show is called Boy falls from the sky. (laughs) And there's another song called DIY World. Here are some of the lyrics. Gamma rays, tidal waves, influence. There's so many ways. The human race can't take a hint. Whip the zinc and you can swim. If you don't mind a little change of skin, designer jeans are a better fit. And By the way, this was from Bono and Edge. Okay, it's actually worse Earth.
5: than We Didn't Start the Fire. It is worse than that.
2: <laughs> the New York Times said, Spider-Man is not only the most expensive musical ever to hit Broadway, it may also rank among the worst. Ooh. And Bono said, we don't disagree with the New York Times.
4: <laughs> it's apparently technically like a lot of places don't consider it a flop because it actually went three years.
2: Yeah. Oh, three so, horrible years. People but, yeah. wanted to
4: see it. because That's they want... excluding previews. Yeah. It yeah. went three years. Yeah. People
5: wanted to see it. I remember that. People were, like, psyched to see this, like, train wreck of a show. It became, like, a cult thing. Like, people, like, got high and went to go see (laughs) Spider-Man.
2: There's so many shows on Broadway that are either familiar long-running hits like Wicked or Hamilton or something like that. But there are so many that come to the stage with an audience built in. Shows like The Lion King, Harry Potter. There's even one for Back to the Future, a musical and you gotta think about like all the franchises and the in the movies and stuff like that, the enders being superheroes that we already know. Are the producers just giving audiences what they want and what is it that we actually want if it's just gonna be stuff we already know? Brandy, any thoughts?
4: Well, I think that I mean, you you know, a lot to fill those theaters and to make that money back for those productions, you kinda have to perhaps pander. But a lot of the stuff that makes it, you know, you can't start off Broadway with something this big. It's just not going.
2: They had to start in Broadway first. But Rebecca, what what does it say about people's taste that yeah. they're not they're, they're not like eager for like a brand new? But story. they are
5: because when something yeah. comes out that's new, people love it. Like people mm-hmm. go wild. Like when Dear Evan Hansen came out, people loved yeah. that. Even like a hybrid thing like Waitress, which was based on a movie that was not a musical. Yeah. By the way, Mm -hmm. like that that's a musical that people love. All original music, but like based on a movie that did with did not was not a huge movie. It was a tiny little indie film. Yeah. Um, but like people love good original musicals. They go viral. People six, people love it. Like, so it's just it's just a question of like, are producers willing to
4: back a risky
5: uh-huh. Well, that's right.
4: also that's also kind of why the Tonys kind of struck a deal, I think, with the WGA not to be picketed this year when they had the Tony, because the Tonys that's the only way that like nat- like tourists are going to know to come see some of these shows, mm-hmm. and so they were like, well, you can't have a writer on it, but like honestly, I mean, as a writer, I think the Tonys were better without a writer. Yeah. um Just they've got enough talent there that they could run it, and they know how to do live stuff. They could do it without a writer really but like so it's really a lot about marketing to people who come from outside because like the the new york area people in the theater people all know what's going off broadway they all know about these theater festivals but it's just like you're bringing mom into town and your parents are coming to visit what are we going to take them what do they know they want to go see hamilton they want to go see six you know whatever so it's really about like we hear a lot about the stuff because we're not in new york or something like that with tourists, but I'm in Minneapolis, which per capita outside New York has the most theater seats. Um, oh. And it's, yeah, it's, so we, you know, I know a lot about theater stuff and there are smaller shows here all the time. We do get the touring productions, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's the whole entertainment industry is just hard to market too. So yeah.
5: it's not different from the podcast industry, Kevin, where no, if you're a famous person, you can get a show made, even if it sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this one. So, so Brandy already knows the background here, but Rebecca, let me tell you this. Why they should have known that this production was going to be cursed. Okay. Tony Adams was the producer who convinced Marvel to create the show, and he convinced Bono and Edge to write the music. The Is Edge, the Kevin. Edge? Yes. The Edge, okay. <laughs> the Edge, that's what I thought. Still presumptuous. Mr. But the I- Edge. Mr. The Edge. Uh, so after Bono signed the contract... Adams brought the paperwork to The Edge's apartment, which is also known as The Apartment. <laughs> and then The Edge went to get a pen, and when he came back, Adams had dropped out of a stroke. What? Yeah. Oh, gosh. That should have been a signal that maybe this is not the thing this to do. This is a curse, yes. It's a little bit of a curse. Yes. By the way, Brandi, you know what the difference between God and Bono is? God doesn't think he's Bono. <laughs> Wait, was it was the
4: pen that The Edge went to get? Did it have a peacock quill on it? It's because
2: it. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, oh brother! Yeah, it touched his uh, forearm, and the Death Eaters <laughs> came. <yeah. laughs> that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Brandy Brown. Brandy, where can our listeners follow you online?
4: Um, I am mostly on Instagram now. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, but uh, it's the Brandy. It's t-h-e brandy b-r-a-n-d-i and soon i will be having a piece coming out in defector about the llama costume contest at the minnesota state fair it is llamas dressed up in costumes um, with children in costumes not people dressed as llamas
2: i hope so. there's photos
4: oh there are plenty of photos <sighs> no, po- wait. i post those photos on uh instagram in my stories you can see in my highlights some of the photos
2: so uh, Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you?
4: I'm everywhere on social media
5: at Reb Lavoie. and
2: you can track me on X formerly known as Twitter, at Kevin P. Flynn. You also, <laughs> you also can tweet, post to us at <laughs> Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our news reader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy and Lily Flynn handles promotions. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Go to LawAndOrderPodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next law and order marathon winner these are their stories was recorded in the treehouse yoga studio above the mockingbird cafe in bay st louis mississippi studio and is a production of partners in crime media,
5: partners
0: partners in crime media. bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022